During a British conference on comparative religions, there were many experts and professors at Cambridge University, and they were in a room discussing all of the various religions and trying to find out, trying to decide if there was really anything unique about Christianity. Was there anything about Christianity that separated it from the other religions? And so they were doing this comparison. They were trying to come up with that conclusion. And they were, they were discussing all the ramifications and trying to, to see, well, is there anything really unique about Christianity? And it's about that time that C.S. Lewis was coming down the hallway, and he heard them in there discussing and talking, and he kind of poked his head in there, and he said, hey, what, what's all this about? And they quickly explained to them, they said, hey, we've got on the chalkboard all the tenets of the different faiths, and he says, hey, Clive, do you think there's anything really unique about Christianity? And he said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And he walked away. He probably took the pipe out of his mouth and dropped it and went, you know, and walked out. But that's maybe not. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter one, if you have your Bible, I want you to please turn there, your tablet or whatever you're using. I want to talk to you today about the grace of God. And I want to tell you a story. Galatians chapter one, verses six and seven, Paul, the apostle is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing to this church in this town called Galatia, and he is writing to them about that grace. But there was a problem in the church. And so he begins with a great, just just an address, a welcome kind of a salutation. And then he goes into verses six and seven. He says to them, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel. So today we talk about the polluted gospel. And can I tell you a story? It's a story I read recently, and I'm going to do my best to recount the events of this story. It's going to take a few moments. It's not going to just be a a little 30-second story. It's going to take a few moments, if you'll give me that grace, since we're talking about grace. There was a family, husband, wife, mother, father, and children, and they are a really good family. They had a business, a family business, and as the children became adults, they became an integral part of the family business. It was prospering. It was growing. The family was good. They were happy, prosperous. Everything was going well, and the father was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm getting older, but I, I want my children to, to really stay connected, and so he made his children part owners of the company, and so they by legally, it wasn't just a verbal, it was legally, they were part owners of the company. And the company's growing and doing good, but along with that comes a lot of pressure and some stress and, and hard work and decisions to be made. And, but they were going through all those processes. Well, there was one of the sons 
who just decided, you know what? This is not really what I want in my life. I don't like all this pressure. I don't like the Monday through Friday and the being in the office and solving these problems. He said, I just, I just really don't want that. So he's trying to figure out a way to get out of all this. And so he goes to his father one day and he says, look, I, I, I love y'all. This is wonderful, but this is just not for me. I don't really want to, I don't want to do this. I, I want to go explore and do stuff. I just, I don't want to be a part of this. I want to sell my part of the business and I just want to cash out. And so that's what he did. The father didn't like it. He tried to talk him out of it, tried to do all the negotiations, didn't work. So finally he said, okay. And so the son cashes out, he pulls all the money out and it was just, you know, he hung around for a little while making his plans and then he decides, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to go travel. I'm going to go see the world. I'm going to Paris. I'm going to Russia. I'm going to China. I'm going to go just explore because I've got this money. So he does. He takes off and he's just living here and he flies there and he takes a train over here. He's just doing great living it up. And then he's kind of having some difficulties and not quite as much money as he thought he really had. He's spending it pretty quickly. And he says, well, I, I'm going to go to some, some really rural areas, some deserted areas, like third world countries, and I'm going to see the beauty of those countries and the geography. And so he goes and, and that's where things really went south because in the villages that he would go to, people would try and take advantage of him. And finally, one day, Somebody really took advantage of him and just really beat him up, took all his credit cards, took all of his debit cards, took everything that he had and sold those cards so they could make money. And now he's stuck. He's far away from home in the third world country. He doesn't know what to do. He has no, no clout. Nobody knows him. Nobody cares that he's rich because now he's not rich. He has nothing. Everything's taken away. And so Inevitably, he has to eat, he has to live somehow, and so he becomes a servant to one of the people there in that little village in that country. And he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? He starts to plan his escape, and so one night he, he makes a break for it, and he gets out onto the road, and by chance a car is coming by, and he flags him down. He gets in, he goes to the city, he makes a collect call to his brother, and says, man, this is where I'm at. I'm out. I've been robbed. This is bad. His brother wires him enough money to actually get on a plane and come home. While he's on the plane, flying over the ocean, he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? This is not good. My dad is going to be so mad. I don't know what to do. And he devises this plan. He says, okay, what I'll do is I'll not try to come back into ownership of the company. I'll just become an employee of the company. That's what I'll do. I'll, I'll just say, hey, look, Dad, I don't expect you to bring me back up into the ownership. I'll just, I'll just be an employee of the company. I'll even start at the bottom, and I'll work my way up, and we'll see what happens. So he gets home, and he comes up to the house, uh, and he's trying to find his father, but his father's too busy. His father's doing the business, you know, and so he, he searches all over the place, all over the estate, everything. He can't find his father anywhere. But finally, toward the end of the day, he finally finds his father. And his father and he have that meeting where he's got to explain to his father, you know, this is what I want to do. And so his father just kind of looks at him, 
doesn't really show any emotion, just kind of looks at him. And the, father, and the son starts on his, his speech. He's trying to say, hey, hey look, look I, I'm, look, I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. You were right. I'm sorry. But listen, I, I just want to be one of your employees. If you'll just make me one of your employees, everything will be great. I'll, I'll, I'll work it out. And the father looked at him and said, okay. All right, we'll do that. But I want you to know something. We run a tight ship around here. And uh, you're an employee. And we're, we're going to give you a six-month probation period. And if there's no bad marks on your reports, your performance reports, then, well, what we usually do is with these employees after six months, if they've been really good, we have a little, little breakfast for them. And we'll do a breakfast for you too. But if there's any bad marks on your performance report, there'll be no breakfast for you. And there'll be no raise. And somebody told me something about you kind of recently had a few problems, but listen, you're an employee of this business now. We don't really care about personal problems. So get that behind you. And just get up with it. Let's go. Get on the ball. We want you to work. That's why you're here, to work. And we don't take to slacking very well. If you want to raise, you're going to have to earn it. If you want a promotion, you're going to have to work hard, harder than you ever thought you'd ever have to work. And then his father turned around and went back to work, making sure that all the employees are acting perfectly. And the son stood there and said, well, this isn't exactly what I was hoping for, but it sure is better than feeding pigs. You have your Bibles. Please turn to Luke chapter 15. I want to read. Let's read another story. Luke chapter 15 in verse number 11 through 24, Luke 15. Jesus was telling them stories about the kingdom of God. And he said, there's a, there's a guy who has 100 sheep and one of them leaves. And he goes and searches for that one and brings it back. And there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who comes home than over 99 just ones who don't need any help. He says, hey, there's, a, there's a woman with 10 coins. She loses one. She searches diligently and she finds it. And she says, yay. And she rejoices. And just like that, there's rejoicing in heaven. Then he gets to this family structure. He says, there's a man with two sons. Let's begin reading in verse number 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, this really isn't for me. I don't want to do the nine to five. So can you just give me my estate now? So he divided the property between the children. Not long after that, the young son gathered all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that land and the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I know I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got on the plane and went home to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. His father saw him and filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer to be called your son. But the father interrupted his son's lame sermon and said, Stop whatever you're doing. Quickly go bring the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Forget that old lame goat in the back. Get the best calf, the one that we've been fattening up with that sweet corn. Bring the best calf out here and kill it. We are going to have a feast. We're going to eat until we're stuffed. And we're going to celebrate. Because this son of mine wasn't just going through a difficulty. He was dead, but he has been raised from the dead. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. What a difference in those two stories. See, one of them says, okay, everybody blows it. But in order to get back into graces with God, you're going to need to work and work really hard. You're going to have to earn your place in the kingdom. You're going to have to earn your place in the business. You're going to have to earn your place in the family. That's the polluted gospel that Paul was writing about to the Galatians. And that's the polluted gospel that tries to creep its way into every one of our lives. And somehow we begin to think we have to earn our right to either come into the kingdom or to stay in the kingdom. Or if I really want to get close to God, I'm going to have to do some good stuff. I'm going to have to earn it. I'm going to have to be so much more closer to perfect so that he'll really like me. I mean, he kind of likes me now, but I've got some problems. So he can only kind of like me because I have problems. He can't really like me, and I know he can't love me because I have problems. Religion says you got to earn your keep. You got to earn your way. You got to be good. Christianity says you can't be good, but God lavishes his love on us anyway. You see the, see the difference in the father of the story and the father in the Bible. The one here in the Bible says, uh, I don't need to hear your lame speech about serving in the family business or being a servant. I don't need to hear that at all. I'm interrupting you. And if we're not careful, we won't let God interrupt us when we're giving him our lame speech. You know, about wanting to be a servant. Oh, God, help me to, to serve you more. God, help me to be better. God, help me to be better. God, help me to be better. We all want to be better. I'm not against being better. I'm just saying you don't earn God's favor by becoming better. He favors you now. Here in Luke 11, 
This whole story is not about you and I. It's about God. You and I know we're, we're like the sun, right? I mean, we, we, did our, we did our own thing. We went our own way. We're still, as Christians, tempted to go, I got a better plan. It's fun. It's right now. No delayed gratification. Let's go have fun now. And we end up realizing that when we cross that line into sinful fun, that sin is fun for a season. And then that season's over. And then we go back to God and we go, Oh, man, I'm going to have to do a lot of good things to get back in grace. And God says, I'm not hearing it. I'm not hearing it. I'm bringing you into restoration. And God says, I'm bringing you back to that position. There's a robe on you. There's authority on your hand. There's sandals on your feet. I'm going to equip you for everything you need. It is not a matter of your works equipping you. God equips you to be all that you need to be. That's the grace of God. We are saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should dare boast. The polluted gospel says you got to earn your keep. But the real gospel, the true gospel, says it's God's grace. It's God's grace. Today, right now, this is a time for us to recognize and realize that in all of our lives, that polluted gospel is trying to make its way in. We have an enemy that is constantly trying to pollute the gospel that we have. I would dare say, now this is just a speculation, it's just an idea, that if Satan is going to tempt you, everyone in this room, I'm just going to make an assumption that he's not going to go, you know, that guy next door that you don't like, you really should like You know what I'm, y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? I don't think he's going to tempt you. I think he's going to go, you know what? You need a better retirement plan and that bank down there, they got a lot of money in there. And if you'll just go in there and take some, I don't think God's tempting you that way. I mean, if he is set up an appointment for Monday, we'll talk. Maybe I can help. I don't think God's tempting you that way. But I think he is tempting us with a polluted gospel to say, hey, yeah, the grace is great and all, but, you know, you, you really should work harder to really, really get some grace. If you really want a lot of grace, you got to work harder. And the word tells us that where sin abounds, there much more grace abounds. Can't earn grace. We come and receive grace. And so today is a day where I've been praying the Holy Spirit would mess around with us today. You all right with that? Y'all are, you okay? That God would mess around with us today and kind of stir things up in our life because if we're being honest, I think there's a temptation to be like this, the son in the first story. I'll just be an employee, God. I'll, I'll just come along and work really hard, God. And if we're not careful, we'll think that God is like the father in the story, the first story. But instead, he's not. We don't come to him and say, oh, okay, God, um, if I'm going to work really hard. And then what I'd like for you to do is restore my family. God, I'm going to work really hard. And then I want you to restore my finances. He says, I'll have nothing to do with that. You're not going to earn my favor. I give my favor. God gives favor. So I've asked God to mess with us a little bit today.
and how we're really viewing God because how we view God determines and affects everything else that we do. There's a couple other verses that I want to look at. Galatians chapter 4, back in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your, our hearts. The spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We hear that, that term, Abba, Father. It's used three times in the Bible. Abba, Father. And what that is, is kind of a, it's, it's a little strange, if you will, because the word Abba is, is Aramic for father. So on the one hand, he's saying father, father. Father, father. But that word Abba is, is, a, is a, a bit different than a referring to your father as in a formal way. It's more of an informal way. It's more, it's more of a closeness. And so here, Paul is saying this is the address that we have because God has adopted us into the family. He's adopted us. And so we call out Abba, Father. In Mark 14, 26, Jesus does the same thing. He says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, not what I will, but what you will. In that moment of crisis in Jesus' life, he refers to his father as Abba, Father. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So we come before him, and we don't say, yes, sir, Father, reporting for duty. We don't come before him and say, yes, boss, Father. We come before him and say, Daddy, Father. Loving Father. Because that's the relationship that God wants with you. See, it's one thing to have a dream about a relationship with God, but if it doesn't line up with what God wants, we can get off base. God desires that we have a relationship with him where we come before him and recognize you are my daddy father. You are my one who gives affection and you are one that loves me. And you're the one that says, I don't have to earn it. I can't earn it. I receive your love. I receive your grace. I receive the relationship that you have for me. So perhaps today you're here and you say, you know what, I'm, I've, I've been astray a while. I've been gone a while. I've, I've kind of done my own thing for a while. And now you're wondering, I don't know if I've got it within me to come back. I don't know if I could do enough good things to like get the favor of God. I've got great news for you today. God doesn't ask you to do anything except just simply come to him and say, God, here I am. Forgive me. I want to receive your grace into my life. And then we receive that spirit by which he tells us we cry out, Abba, Father. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to mess with you today? To talk to you today? To make that, that tweak in your life to get you on the right trajectory? Not 
away from, to get away from addressing God as, yes, sir. I got to be good. I got to follow orders. But instead to say, thank you, Daddy God. Thank you. Thank you. 